Nation. I'm your host, Eric Patterson. Thank you for tuning in. I have been off this midweek episode for a couple weeks. Um, My work schedule was a little hectic, so I couldn't um, get those out, but good to be back. Good to be doing this solo episode. Um, I have some good stories today. Um, A couple are just very brief, but I thought they were very interesting, and a couple topics that pique my interest um, and that I stumbled upon just scrolling through the news. So, you know, sometimes that's the best option. Um, I do want to make everyone aware of the hurricane that is hitting Florida. Um, I think I saw it. It was hitting Panama City just under Category 5. So it's been a rough, another rough year for hurricanes, but um, it's – it's part of it's part of where we live. It's part of uh, being down south on the coast. Um, we build cities in tough places, but um, I hope everyone's safe. And if you are affected, I wish you the best and uh, thoughts and prayers. So anyway, we'll hop into it. Um, one of these little short stories. Uh, it's not really a story. It's really just a little blurb I saw. Um. This is from, uh, where is it, Condé Nast Traveler. Um, They have an article about Amtrak tickets throughout some of the most scenic routes in the U.S. Um, They say tickets are low as $13. That specific $13 trip is from Chicago to St. Louis. So, not too bad. I mean, sort of scenic. There are parts of Illinois that are beautiful. Uh, Pretty flat, but beautiful. Um, Some other trips include Seattle to Portland. That would be pretty nice. Los Angeles to Oakland, up along the coast. I bet that is gorgeous. Uh, New York to Montreal. I bet that's a nice one. Um, Washington, D.C. to Charleston. Um, And all of those are under $80. Um, Seattle to Portland is $25. Los Angeles to Oakland is $39. And New York to Montreal is 49. Washington, D.C. to Charleston is 74. Um, There are even um, a 35-hour ride from Seattle to Los Angeles. Which is not bad. Long ride, but for just $79. Um, So, these are... Basically, these deals go on for um, November 27th to May 22nd with no blackout dates. Um, so, I don't know if you're interested. I think that'd be cool if I could get to one of the cities that do this. I think that'd be very fun, um, especially the West Coast trip. Uh, the, New- the New York to Montreal trip, I think, would be very fun as well. Um, it says... Amtrak also offers a lot of perks compared to air travel, including free Wi-Fi on most trains, electric outlets at every seat, two free carry-ons, and two personal items, plus no middle seat. Small pets, dogs and cats up to 20 pounds for trips up to 7 hours are also allowed on most trains. The real perk of these long haul rides, it says, the sightseer lounges, or observation cars, which have unassigned seats and offer a double-decker view of the American countryside. They are located on top of the cafe cars. 
Um, so it says the sale is on through October 12th. The previous sale I mentioned um, is in November, but this sale is on through Friday, October 12th, and you don't need a discount code as the fares have already been discounted on the Amtrak site. So check out this October 12th sale if you're interested, and um, also this November 27th to May 22nd. Um, there might be some deals there as well. So this is not a promotion. I literally just saw this before I was um, about to do this, and I think that's awesome. I would love to do that. One of those rides, because um, me, me and Kyle, uh, in, in our you regular episode, if you don't listen, they come out um, Saturday or Sunday each week. But we, um, we kind of shit talk uh, America's train system as far as like compared to Europe, like you can go from country to country easily. Um, but these might, I mean, they're long rides. At least the one up the coast is, and I'm sure there are other long rides. Um, but these could be fun. A little excursion instead of, you know, it's a change of pace from flying or driving. Personally, I hate driving. Uh, I really do. I think <laughs> I've noticed that there are just a ton of bad drivers on the road these days. And uh, it's a little concerning. I drive a small car as well, so that might be part of my paranoia. But um, especially for long drives, I prefer to have a larger car. But anywho, check those out. Um, this next one concerns um, the world's best whiskey. This year, it happens to be American, according to one whiskey ex expert. It says, for the third year in a row, the best whiskey in the world is American, by one measurement. So, it says, every year, for the past 15 years, a man named Jim Murray has released a whiskey bible that ranks his faves. He considers over 4,600 types of whiskeys for this edition which sounds like a fun job, and his picks are important in the whiskey world. If you're not familiar with uh, whiskeys and um, how much of a crazy world it is, that is a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of anything, but that's a lot of whiskeys. Um, according to his palate, the article says, the 2019 World Whiskey of the Year is William LaRue Weller, 128.2 proof, part of the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection 2017. It is a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey that was barreled in 2005 and bottled in 2017. Um, now I have to shout out to my dad because he loves whiskeys. And um, all types of very intense tasting um, alcohols, but mostly whiskeys. Um, and this, well, this article is basically like a, I'm doing this as a shout out to my dad. I don't think my I think my mom. I know my mom listens, but I don't think my dad does. But he might listen every now and then, so maybe he'll catch this one. But anyway, yeah, that was the number one. It says it's tasting notes. Include marshmallow, salted almonds, salted almonds, nougat, figs, and dates. It smells of caramel corn, new leather, plums, light toffee, and pipe tobacco. It's also sold out, so it must have been good. Um, I'm sure it was a pretty penny, considered it was bottled in 2005. Um, 
just like wine, uh, they age them in uh, barrels, and um, the longer it's in there, the more richness and the more flavors you get. Um, and yeah, this marks the third year in a row that Murray has picked an American whiskey for the best in the world. In 2018, he chose Buffalo Trace's small batch release, Colonel E.H. Taylor Four Grain. In 2017, it was Booker's Rye 13-Year-Old, a Kentucky straight rye whiskey. But in 2017, the top prize went to uh, actually a Crown Royal Northern Harvest Rye. And previously, there were Japanese and Scottish ones. So there's that. If there's anyone that is a whiskey uh, connoisseur or any sort of scotch, uh bourbon anything like that um shout out to you i'm not there yet um i have had many tastes of certain um whiskeys and bourbons and scotches that my dad that my dad tastes and drinks but can't do a full glass yet i'm not there maybe as i age i hope so hopefully it runs in the genes runs in the family anywho the last one is really just a – there's no really story to it. Um, but Nikki Haley, if you're not familiar with her, she um, represents the United States at the UN. Um, she uh, would – well, she announced her uh, resignation as U.S. ambassador to the UN at the end of the year. Um, this article from Money – states that rumors swirled around her potential 2020 ambitions and next move out of President Trump's administration, it says, but her decision to resign also put a spotlight on her personal finances, particularly the hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt she has occurred over the years. Um, I don't know. I don't really care about that. Um, it goes into this only because this is from Money Magazine, but or Money, I should say. Um, but anyway, she is resigning, and uh, I guess I think I saw today there's a short list of like five apparent five people apparently that Trump has to um, replace her. So she's known for her very um, aggressive action as well, which only goes along with the administration, as you can imagine. Um, but we uh, we will see who who hops in there next. Um, cool. Next, I have a couple larger stories, not too long, obviously, because this episode is usually only around 30, 35 minutes, but moving on to that, um, I heard of this weird case uh, of the missing Interpol chief. Now, he's Chinese, and um, he vanished in China. He was traveling from France to China. Um, and he vanished in China. He's now resigned his post and is under investigation for corruption. It says, Days after Meng Hongwei, the president of Interpol, was reported missing in China, the Chinese government said on Monday that Meng was, quote-unquote, under supervision and being investigated on bribery charges. Meng, a Chinese national, has also resigned from his post with immediate effect 
according to a statement from Interpol. Um, the article continues, it's a stunning development in a bizarre saga that began unfolding late last week. So Meng led Interpol, Interpol, I should say, not Interpol, Interpol. Um, it, so Interpol is an international organization that coordinates law enforcement agencies worldwide. So he, disap he traveled from France to China on September 29th. He disappeared. Meng's wife apparently uh, alerted authorities in Lyon in France on October 4th, which is where Interpol is headquartered. headquartered. Um, she hadn't heard from him, and apparently he sent her a text message of a knife emoji before he vanished. So she took that as he was in danger. According to the South China Morning Post, Meng is a former Communist Party official who lost his position in the party last year. Chinese authorities did not offer many details on what Meng is accused of or why he has been detained. Um, so yeah, it seems that he ha is a victim of sort of a supposed crackdown in the Chinese government, uh, a corruption crackdown, if you will. Um, and that is why he's being detained. It says, um, China has used Interpol to identify allegedly corrupt officials. That led to some speculation that Meng might have been ensnarled in an anti-corruption investigation, a suspicion that was ultimately confirmed. Chinese President Xi Jinping has recently presided over a sweeping anti-corruption crackdown, which he used to consolidate power earlier this year. Officials who are targeted by the anti-graft campaign often vanish for weeks or months. So yeah, um, this sounds familiar. Um, we have seen this before in history um, in many circumstances. The one that comes to mind for me is Russia. Now, I don't think China is straight out killing people or sending them to um, labor camps. Um, but <laughs> I guess it's possible. I guess it's possible. Um, the interesting part is that um, China had cheered Meng's ascension to the top of the international agency when he took over in 2016 as a sign of its growing global clout. Um, this article from Vox tends to lean toward the idea that by basically capturing Meng, that China is not shedding itself in a very good light. The article says, um, Meng's detainment may ultimately end up being a setback for China's aspirations to rise to global leadership. Julian Ku, a professor at Hofstra's university, at Hofstra University's Maurice A. Dean School of Law, told the New York Times that the fact that Meng has quote-unquote disappeared without any notice to Interpol will undermine the Chinese global outreach effort. So it's no mystery to anyone that China has been growing for many years and that the Chinese country as a whole um, is 
making a fairly pronounced stance on the international scene. Um, there's an ongoing Chinese-U.S. trade war, if you will. Um, and yeah, this article seems to state that China is not shutting itself in such a great light by doing this. But, you know, um, the party has certain political goals that it wants to achieve, and my guess is, just like in the political parties here and all over the world, if they want to achieve the goal of the supposed anti-corruption crackdown, that they're going to do so by any means necessary, and that seems like what is happening. So we, uh, I guess we'll continue to follow this, um... I think it's really interesting. I mean, Interpol is like one of the. I, it says they they uh, they help um, federal agencies federal agencies in 192 countries. So um, huge, huge organization. Um, now this guy, this just to clarify, Meng isn't. He doesn't like. Um, he doesn't head the day to day day to day activities. He was more in charge of setting like i guess like the goals and agendas of the organization and possibly seeing those through so definitely an administrative role but um, nonetheless high up in an international organization so we'll see where that goes this last story i have um is super interesting it concerns underwater archaeology which i think is I think archaeology is fascinating in general, but underwater archaeology is a whole different beast. So, this concerns um, ships in the Great Lakes. The title of the article from Smithsonian.com says, Underwater archaeologists may have discovered the oldest shipwreck in Lake Erie. Um, after an ill-fated journey hauling boulders sank it, the Lady Serpent is at last ready to tell its story. The, la the Lake Serpent, an eight-year-old, 47-foot schooner, left Cleveland in September 1829 for the 55-mile trip to the Lake Erie Islands. Upon arriving at the island rich with limestone, the ship's crew collected a load of stone to return to Cleveland. Four years later, the island would be bought by a pair of brothers, Addis and Irid Kelly. It has since been known as the Kelly as Kelly's Island. So the ship never made it back, as you might have guessed by now. Um, now the Great Lakes is a famous area for ships sinking or disappearing. Um, I'm just saying, I'm saying, I'm saying disappearing in the sense that no one knows what happens to them. Mostly they sink, but you know, and uh, you know, if you listen to uh, if you listen to our main episode with Kyle, with me and Kyle, you know, we might go we might go into some theories about these uh, disappearing ships, but who knows? <laughs> For the purpose of this article, I'm just gonna say they sank because that's what we're looking at. Anyway, um, so the ship never made it back. The bodies of Captain Ezra Wright and his brother Robert washed ashore in Lorraine. County, just west of Cleveland, the Lady Serpent was lost forever at the bottom of the lake. On Friday, which I assume was last week, so this episode was, or this article was written on 10-10, so I'm assuming last Friday, 
The National Museum of the Great Lakes, located near Toledo, announced that the serpent may have been found. And it is believed to be the oldest known shipwreck in Lake Erie. Now, the history of the Great Lakes, um, as far as Amer- as far as American purposes go, like the United States, um, they were very important during the War of eighteen twelve, and small outposts apparently dotted around the area grew into some of the biggest cities, including Detroit, Chicago, Buffalo, and Milwaukee. Um, the lakes became relatively inexpensive methods to ship cargo, um, and they garnered um, much admiration from um, shipping companies. So even though they were inexpensive, um, they were also treacherous. Um, many vessels fell victims to bad weather. Um, for generations, ships lay at the bottom of the lake, deteriorating. Um, however, thanks to the efforts of the director of this museum, Chris Gilchrist, um, and his intrepid team of divers and underwater, underwater archaeologists, they are slowly starting to salvage these wrecks and study what actually happened. So just a little background on uh on Chris Gilchrist, he started at the museum in 1990 when it was called the Seas Maritime Museum. Sorry, the Inland Seas Maritime Museum. <clears throat> and it was situated in the lakeside town of Vermilion. He, um, he noticed an impressive cache of shipwreck artifacts in the collection, but no concerted effort to share them with visitors in a public exhibit. So eventually... This museum moved to Toledo in 2014. Um, Gilchrist was able to convince the board that shipwrecks were not just an important part of the museum's scope, but the last frontier in the history of the Great Lakes. Um, it is said that the Titanic bolstered his case for this, which, that's awesome. Um, within five years, the museum hired Carrie Soden as archaeological director, um, and they partnered with the Cleveland Underwater Explorers. Um, acronym CLUE, a diving group that explores Lake Erie. So since then, they've found the wreckage of about a dozen shipwrecks in Lake Erie and a handful in Lake Ontario. Um, As you can imagine, there's a lot of history missing under the lakes. So I thought it was interesting, um, and it makes total sense that not only do they dive and search for shipwrecks, but they also look at like government records and shipping records to understand like what didn't make it back and then they identify their targets by doing so so by sorting through these government records they're able to identify ships that might have been lost and they use radar to um find these ships physically so um it says we come up with a target list, says David Van Zant, Clues director and chief archaeologist, who feels enough of a kinship to Lake Erie to refer to it as my lake. He says we get good location data and narrow down and start searching for the boat. Um, I think this is awesome. I really do. I like I said, I love archaeology. Um, these people are 
I can only imagine super detail oriented. I mean, not only to scan through government records and find little pieces of data, but also to go out in the Great Lakes, which are known to be very cold and um, very mysterious in a sense, um, and search for these vessels. And they seem to be doing a very good job. Um, so it says in an 1829 newspaper article from the Cleveland Weekly Herald reported that this boat was carrying a load of stone from Kelly's Island and dives that that Clue uh, participated in found boulders in the ship's hold consistent with the timeline of the serpent's seeking. So the ship at question is the Lake Serpent. And um, they found stones on this. Um, had the stones been obtained any subsequent year after the quarries opened in 1930, the ship's cargo would have been smoother blocks, not the boulders found in the shipwreck. So they say it all lines up, what they found in the ship, and what they have corroborated with articles. Um, they still have work to do, but the museum feels that it can claim with about 75% certainty that this is the Lake Serpent. Um, it is stated in the article that for every two days they spend in the field, they spend about a month working on the data. Um, as I've stated, very cool. Um, they will be at, let's see, currently they will be doing more dives on the Lake Serpent site. Um, however, I thought this was an interesting side bit. Um, Chris Gilchrist notes that because of Ohio law, they can't bring anything up to display. This is what I was trying to find. Instead, they will be doing a series of lectures next year at the at um, some different places um, at the Lakewood Historical Society, Sandusky Maritime Museum, the Toledo Shipmasters Association, and the Great Lakes Maritime Institute in Detroit. All um, help financially support the project. So super awesome work there. Um, this actually reminds me of a book I read, and I have mentioned it in the um, main show that we do that comes out on Saturday or Sunday. Um, uh, 1177 BC, um, they talk about many shipwrecks um, that happened in the um, Mediterranean Sea and um, how they were carrying a little more expensive cargo than stones or blocks of uh, brick or whatever that the lake serpent was. They're carrying like gold and jewels and massive amounts of wealth. So the ocean holds many secrets and we are hopefully developing technologies and we have technologies already as well as the hard work from many individuals um, at Clue and Chris Gilchrist and his organization. So very cool stuff there. Um, if you want to find us on social media, um, you can find us on Twitter at WorldWeLivePod. 
Um, catch us on iTunes, World We Live In Podcast, rate and review. We appreciate your input. Um, we are now on Podbean. Um, you can catch us on there and anywhere else you can find podcasts. And as I stated previously, we, I myself and my good friend and co-host Connor Malden put out an episode on the weekend and it is a little more mysterious. If you haven't listened before, it is mysterious and we're getting into Halloween. So I think we're going to start talking about some, uh, some haunted stuff, even though we've done that before. But, you know, got to uh, got to stick to uh, what's coming up the pipeline. And that is Halloween. The candy is already out in the grocery stores. Crazy. Actually, it was out like a month ago. I, me and Kyle noticed that. Silly. Silly. But um, thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Listen to our main week episode. And we... We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening.